Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 252. leader keeps asking for data and doesn't take action, it's time to, again, to look at your cultural system and how it's operating, because that doesn't make a lot of sense. If we ask for data, we probably should do something with it at some point. Hello there, and welcome to the Read to Lead podcast, the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. I'm Jeff Brown, and I believe that if you want to achieve true success in your business and in your life, then you need to be a lifelong learner. You have to desire to read intentionally and consistently, and when you do that, only then can you be successful. Uh, the Read to Lead podcast is going to help you narrow this list somewhat by bringing you the key insights and valuable ideas from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. In just a few minutes, we'll be joined by author Claudette Rowley. Her brand new book is called Cultural Brilliance, the DNA of Organizational Excellence. The book is intended to serve as a guide to intentionally assess, design, and integrate cultural change that's iterative, each success building on previous successes. The result is a company that continues to evolve in ways that decrease stress, inspire learning, and promote overall organizational health. Think of it like this. The history of your company, how people have interacted, what they've learned, and how they've made decisions is all captured in your company's culture. Like DNA, this culture communicates to successive generations and holds the power to drive or constrain an organization's health and success. Claudette and I plan to hit on a number of these issues. In particular, I'm going to ask her to share about some of the biggest cultural challenges companies face today and how to address them, how to tell if your company's culture needs fixing. Some of the signs are obvious, some of them maybe not so, and we'll discuss some current cultural trends you need to be aware of and much, much more. With the help of this book, you'll harness the untapped potential in your business culture to solve problems such as mistrust, low engagement, and overwhelming complexity. To dig deeper into today's episode, you can visit the blog post written just for this episode. It's at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 252. Claudette Rowley, Cultural Brilliance CEO, is a change management consultant, cultural designer, and executive coach. Uh, She is passionate about helping leaders and organizations resolve complex organizational problems in ways that honor the intelligence of their cultural systems and the brilliance of their people. For almost 20 years, she's consulted, trained, and coached executive leaders and teams at Fortune 500 companies, small businesses, higher education, and startups to create proactive and innovative workplace cultures that deliver outstanding results throughout all areas of an organization. And with a client list that includes Medtronic, Boston University School of Law, and MIT, her unique programs solve complicated problems, create buy-in and engagement, and receive high reviews. She is the creator of the 
Cultural Brilliance System and hosts a globally syndicated radio show. She also teaches a course on culture and communication at Northeastern University. And she's the author of, of course, the book we're diving into today called Cultural Brilliance, the DNA of Organizational Excellence, a step-by-step guide to activating the greatness in your organization. Well, it's great to have you here, Claudette. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. Well, thanks so much, Jeff. I'm really happy to be here. Well, I thought we'd begin by having you define uh, that term in, in the book's title, one I wasn't uh, really familiar with, and, and I'm going to go out on a limb and guess I'm not the only one. So let me ask you, you know, what are brilliant cultures exactly, Claudette? Is it not enough just to have, say, a pretty decent culture or an okay culture? Yeah, thanks for asking. So brilliant cultures, the way I define them, and then I'll explain a little bit about this, is that they're cultures that proactively respond to change in ways that decrease stress, inspire learning, and promote organizational health. Mm. They're also cultures that really bring out the positivity, the invention, and the intelligence in people and in the culture. And so, yeah, it's, it's you know, just an okay culture. You're going to get just okay results <laughs> in some cases. So mm. a brilliant culture is looking at culture a little bit differently. It's creating something that can really adapt to change, that can start to understand and notice what's emerging, and allows people to contribute in ways they might not have been able to before. Now, if if I'm correct on this, I believe early in your career, maybe in your 20s, you kind of experienced two extremes from, from one career to the next. Is that right? I, I was a social worker in my 20s. I had two jobs, and, and both as social workers, and one was working actually for the state of Idaho in family and children's services, and they had an amazing culture. And what I noticed was it brought out the best in me. I was asked to do some really interesting, creative work. I loved it. And then I moved out of state, so left the job. And when I came to the Boston area, I worked for a nonprofit that does amazing work. And at the time, the culture wasn't so great. And I noticed how I changed inside of that culture. I still did good work, but I noticed my confidence drop a lot. Mm. And at the time, I was aware of it. So it it actually started me on this path. I started reading books on leadership. I got really interested in how leaders and managers were impacting people. And it became an area of fascination. And I I had no idea at the time what I was going to do with all this information. (laughs) Luckily, it, it led to where I am now. Uh, I'm always fascinated to hear stories of those who decided at a young age that that reading was something they needed to do on a regular basis, and and how it's how it's impacted the trajectory of their careers. I know it certainly impacted mine. Uh, what would you say, Claudette, are some of the biggest cultural challenges that you're seeing in in companies today? Yeah, it's it's a really interesting question. I mean, one, I think we we know the ethics, right? We hear about companies mm-hmm. that are having ethical issues, employee expectations, right? A lot of employees have different expectations than maybe they even had ten years ago. That they want to be engaged, that they want to use their talents, that they don't want to put up with organizations or cultures that don't support them mm. or treat them well. I think trust is a big issue. You know that we're hearing a lot about trust has always been an issue, but because I think a lot of the recent research on the neuroscience of trust and and how important it is, it's becoming more of an issue in companies where I hear people saying, oh, I, "I'd I'd like to speak up, but I'm really not mm. trusting that this isn't going to come back." Mm. And, you know bite me or stab me in the back later. I just don't feel completely safe. And and it feels like now there's more of a forum for actually having those kinds of conversations on how important it is to the bottom line of every company, right? That people can speak up because it impacts, as we know, innovation, productivity, ability to solve problems. 
and things like that. So those are some of the biggest issues I'm seeing. I think the other one that's on almost everybody's mind who runs a company or an organization is the rate of change. And we know there's been lots and lots of talk about that. Mm. But the rate of change, of course, makes it much harder for people to respond sometimes to what's happening around them or internally in an organization. And concerns about things like AI and am I going to have a job five years from now? Things like that. Right. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Well, how can the average leader, Claudette, tell if their culture needs fixing? I would assume that some of the signs are obvious, maybe some of the things you've already mentioned, but I would imagine there's also maybe some not so obvious signs. What what are some things we need to look out for? I think the main ones and like the obvious signs, like you said, you know, might be things like your meetings are silent. Problems aren't getting (laughs) solved, right? You have repeating, you know, just recurring problems. But here are some others. And I talk about these in the book that aren't always equated with being cultural issues. Um, One is that your culture makes people leave. People are leaving your organization in droves. Most likely, almost certainly, you have some sort of cultural issue going on. Something's not working well. Um, another one is is a senior leadership team that keeps asking for data or information, but they don't do anything with it. Mm. And we know how incredibly frustrating that is for people. And sometimes leaders, what I found is leaders aren't necessarily doing that intentionally. They're, they're not setting people up. They don't really connect the impact they're having. But it's really when if, if a leader keeps asking for data and doesn't take action, it's time to, again, to look at your cultural system and how it's operating, because that doesn't make a lot of sense. If we ask for data, we probably should do something with it at some point. Mm. Another one is that people are punished for telling the truth. <laughs> So I, I go tell the truth. And I, I actually, this came up recently. I was coaching an executive in a company he, and they have a lot of cultural issues. And he said, he said, have you thought of you know having a one-on-one with the CEO and sharing your concerns? And he said, you know, I thought about it. But what I observe is that every time somebody goes to the CEO and has a one-on-one conversation about the culture, they leave. Mm. And they don't, they're not fired, but they decide to leave. Mm. So, of course, he's understandably very apprehensive about this conversation. <laughs> and the other thing, and this one's fairly obvious, of course, is you have bullies in your culture. Mm. You're tolerating bullies, which means that at some level, you're prioritizing what they bring into the company, the bottom line, something else over the fact that as human beings, we deserve to be treated with respect and mm. dignity. That, that would be the other one I'd mention. Well, as I mentioned a moment ago when I was introducing her, Claudette's developed what she calls the cultural brilliance system. I was wondering if you could describe kind of what that looks like in practice, Claudette, and, and how, how it helps organizations. Yeah, we'd be happy to. So this, the system is a three-phase process. And what it's really helping organizations do is understand their own culture and, and plot a course for changing it if they'd like to. So I wanted to, I wanted to put together something that people could really take and use you know, step-by-step process. So at a very high level, uh, the first phase of the process is authenticity. And what that looks like is really understanding how your culture operates. So getting deep down to understanding what are some of the beliefs that operate in our culture that we're maybe not particularly aware of, right? Mm. What, you know, what are the behaviors? You know, what, what can we see and observe here? And, and really understanding how it operates. What we know is that we can't change what we don't understand or we'll try to change it, but it won't work, of course. So mm. that understanding piece is really important. And then what the book outlines is taking all this information and really understand through understanding how your culture operates now, starting to understand the culture you need to you know, support your strategic objectives, to support your people, to get wherever you want to go as an organization. And so the second phase is really designing that change. Mm. How, what will that look like? And then the final phase of the process is the integration or the implementation. So we've, you've designed something, but now we need to figure out functionally how we'll integrate it. And a key piece to that, I always make sure to mention is when I work with companies, I have them actually prototype the change. So if mm. there's a cultural design 
um, and how people communicate, for example. We'll try it out with a couple of departments or teams and get feedback on it because we all know that it, something that looks great on paper doesn't always work in reality as we as we thought it would. So it's really important to tr- do a little prototyping and testing and get feedback before implementing a large-scale change. Well, that sounds interesting. So that prototyping, I would imagine, aids you then on the back end and helps you know when you've actually transitioned to a culture that is brilliant. Is that is that a safe assumption? I think it does help you, yeah, because in, along the way you're setting, you know, you're setting some metrics. You know there's a place you want to get to, right, and it helps you understand mm-hmm. if it, hey, have we, have we met our goals? Have we not met our goals? There's a final phase of the process after the implementation or integration where I have organizations actually assess, do their own assessment mm-hmm. of what they've learned and how it's impacted their business results. So they can see, yeah, and sometimes they've achieved things that are different than what they thought they were going to achieve, but they're better, right? They're maybe even more on target than what they thought. Well, addressing and assessing the culture, Claudette says, is something that a lot of leaders struggle with. We've talked about bullies. Maybe there's a fear of conflict that might arise. What are some other reasons you find that leaders struggle with addressing and assessing their their, their, uh, culture? Even if you're a top-notch leader, there's no way you can see your entire culture or understand your entire culture um, without getting input and feedback from other folks in, in the organization. And so what I sometimes find is, you know, a leader has what I call in the book a cultural blind spot, right? Mm. There's a part of the culture they just, they're not, they don't see, they're just not aware of, right? It's just, it just is what it is. And one of the best things they can do is get actually information from other folks in the organization at all levels and all areas to get a more holistic view of the culture. Mm. So that's one of the things that come up is, is the cultural blind spot. Another thing is that uh, some leaders have a really hard time hearing certain messages and certain pieces of feedback about the culture. Mm. It makes them very uncomfortable. It makes them feel bad, might be a little challenge to their ego. Maybe they're finding out they haven't done as good of a job as they thought they did, which for any of us is a really awful feeling. Mm. You know, it's not, not what we hope for. And they may not be as aware of their impact. So that can be a challenge is really, you know, for them to be willing to just take that information in and grow themselves. Um, and the other one too, is when I mentioned at the beginning, culture can be really challenging to understand hmm. beyond the surface level, beyond the, what you can see. And so it requires us to really slow down and listen. And if you're a leader who's action oriented, who likes to make decisions and get things done as a lot of leaders do, which is a good thing, right? It's a good, it's a good set of skills. Hmm. You need to pull in a different set of skills, at least at the beginning of this process where you really slow down and listen and assess. And for some, some leaders that is, that's a little bit more challenging because they have to really buy into the value of doing that. It's a long-term investment. Uh, one leader I had the pleasure of working for did a great job in helping create a, a brilliant culture, I, I, would, I would say. Yeah. Uh, you used to joke that he practiced management by walking around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we would see him kind of roaming the halls and he would just you know pop his head in every now and then and just start up a conversation, sort of gauge and kind of where you were and what your struggles were and just did that on a regular basis, just kind of taking the temperature of the team just randomly. And, and that really helped, I think, keep him informed as to where maybe some of, of the issues might come from and be able to sort of head those off at the pass. It, it's, it's a simple, but like you said, brilliant strategy, right? Mm. How do I stay connected to people to understand what's going on? And also, I would imagine people felt fairly safe talking with him because mm. he did that. Uh, very much so. Yeah. Right, which meant he got the truth of what was actually going on versus a sanitized version. <laughs> yes, yes. Which I sometimes am thinking of a particular leader now, and he people tend to sanitize things for him, so he thinks they're not that big of a deal. Hmm. 
And that's one thing we started, we've really worked on. I'm like, actually, this is a huge deal. And this, you're getting, you're getting the pretty version. Here's the real version. Right. So we need to really build some trust so that people will tell you the real version of what's going on. Well, we, we talked about some of the cultural challenges earlier. What are, what are some of the current cultural trends that you're seeing, Claudette? How, how would you describe the, the current cultural landscape? It's a really, I love that question. And, and I was thinking about it before the show. I'm seeing soup to nuts, like A to Z. So on one hand, I'm seeing organizations in terms of landscape that have never even thought about their culture. Mm. It's not even a word they would use. <laughs> and, and it's interesting because culture so much, we have so many books on culture, so there's so much going on around culture right now, yet there are still organizations that aren't even thinking about it. It's just not on the radar. Mm. And then I have, I can think of a couple organizations I know, and I'm thinking of, of a spectrum, who they do talk about their culture, um, they work with their culture, but it's interesting if you ask them how they defined culture, they wouldn't really have a definition. Hmm. I mean, because I've asked them. That's how I know they don't. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> so, um, so my feedback to them was, if you haven't defined it for yourself, then how do you guys all know you're talking about the same thing, right? So there are people who are, yeah, are working on it, but I feel like it could be clearer. And then we have the Googles of the world, um, lots of tech companies doing a great job, lots of companies nobody's ever heard of because they're smaller that are doing an amazing job. So that that's just, this landscape I'm seeing is we have a really wide spectrum, and that's an, it's exciting. It's an exciting landscape because there's really a lot of opportunity for organizations, I think, to accelerate how they understand their culture and if they want to make changes to really start doing that in an intentional and conscious way, which is important. Mm. A lot of uh, business books that I read, and I read a lot of business-related books, as you might imagine, yeah. come in sometimes 250, north of 250 pages. One of the things I like about Claudette's book is it is, is a little shy of 175 pages, I think, which is, there's no fluff here. It's it's just 100% meat, and, and I have enjoyed it immensely, and I highly recommend it. Uh, I have a couple of questions that I want to ask you, Claudette, not directly related to your book, but before I do that, I just want to give you a chance to tell us anything else about it you want to make sure that, that we know. Thank you. I've been I've been told it's a meaty book, and I wanted to write something people could really take and use. So the book is is conceptual at the beginning, but then really goes into a step by step process. And so if you're looking for that, you know, it, I think it can meet a lot of organizational needs in that way. The other thing that I, I I always like to mention, and it's not specifically in the book, but if people will often say to me, "Well, how do I start?" You know, "How do I start?" Mm. And especially if I'm not the leader, and I I call it being a cultural detective, mm. right? So just Become a great listener, become a great observer, and just notice. Notice repeating patterns in your organization. Notice what's working and what's not. Where are people suffering? Where are they succeeding, right? Where are they brilliant? And listen and observe and ask questions and, and start there and see what you can uncover and notice. And I think that's a really important step in starting to work with any culture is that we, we start there. We really start to understand it and observe it first. Yeah, it is the responsibility of, of everybody, not just leadership, for sure. Exactly. Well, I want you to think, Claudette, and this may be a tough question to answer, as it is for many of my guests, but think about the books you've read over the course of your career, or, or maybe you narrow it down to the last few years, if that makes it easier. What would you say are, are the two or three titles that come immediately to mind as, as having had maybe the biggest impact on you? And if you can, share how or why they, they impacted you as, as they did. So a couple that come to mind are... And all three of these actually, you know, when I was coming up with a cultural brilliant system, mm -hmm. of course, as you can imagine, there were many 
thought leaders and authors and books that I, I read and looked at. But these were three that really stood out to me. Um, one is a book called Dignity by Dr. Donna Hicks. Okay. And I read this many years ago. And she's at Harvard and her research is all on conflict resolution. And she's actually resolved conflicts in Northern Ireland and the Middle East. And things. so she's really a negotiator. And her book talks about this, what she calls the dignity model, which is different than respect. That as human beings, we have the inherent right to be treated with dignity. Mm. And she's a newer book out on applying this directly to leadership. Her work is amazing. Leading from the Emerging Future by Otto Scharmer. His book is also really transformative for me when I read it a few years ago about this idea that we could lead from an emerging future, that emergence mattered. And another idea that's always stuck with me from his book is this idea of thinking about what's best for everybody, which I may be paraphrasing there. There was a concept in the book around that. The third one I mention is and Everyone Culture by Bob Keegan, and I'm, I'm slipping on the name of his, oh, Lisa Leahy is, is, his, is the other author on that book, Bob Keegan and Lisa Leahy. And they talk about deliberately developmental organizations, which I love. They're organizations that are all about developing people, giving people feedback, and using that literally as a business model. So that's a fascinating book also. Well, as, as someone who uh, does her own fair amount of, of speaking, I would be curious to know some of your tips for delivering an impactful and, and memorable talk. What would you say to someone wanting to get better at that skill? I like to make my, unless it's a keynote or something when, where I can't, I like to make my presentations very interactive. Mm. So I try to make you know people actually be able to interact with each other, be able to do an exercise depending on the, the size of the audience and the format, of course. But as much as you can make it interactive, so you're connecting with people right away and, and engaging them, even if you're asking a large group a question. I think being connecting and engaging is huge. The other thing I make sure to do, especially since some of my material and the things that I present on can be a little complex at times, try to not dumb it down by any means, but simplify it so that people are always leaving any talk, even if it's a, a 20 or 30 minute talk with a nugget, uh, something they can take and apply. What I hear a lot is that people really want things that they can apply. Like they don't just want good ideas. They want to know what they can do with them. And that's a lot of feedback I'm hearing from different conferences and workshops. Hmm. So those are the things I always try to include. Well, the book has been out now for what, a few weeks? Yeah, just a few weeks. Well, I know you're you're probably going to still be in, I would imagine, book promotion mode for a little while, but I, yeah. want, you, I want you to think beyond that. What's, what's ahead for you and your team once you're past that point that, that you're excited about uh, working on and jumping into? But certainly consulting engagements that come our way. I, I love doing this work, the yeah. actual doing of this work um, and partnering and connecting with organizations. I'm working with a couple organizations right now, and it's just it's really joyful work for me. I love it. Um, speaking about it, teaching about it, doing some of that now. But like you said, as, as we move through the initial promotional phase, mm. diving into even more of that is what I'm really, really excited about. Getting taking, Continuing to take this message out into the world in lots of different ways. Well, the book, again, is called Cultural Brilliance, the DNA of Organizational Excellence. It's a step-by-step guide to activating the greatness in your organization. Her name is Claudette Rowley, and we are so thrilled to have had you here, Claudette. Thank you so much for being a part of the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much, Jeff. I really enjoyed it. Pick up your copy of Claudette's book at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 252 for episode 252. There you'll also find the other links and resources that Claudette and I mentioned and referenced today. Readtoleadpodcast.com slash 252. At the time of publication, there's only a couple of days left to take advantage of our New Year's offer to join Read to Lead University, my online book club. 30 days for just a buck. You try it out. Make sure it's right for you. And it only costs $1. Go to readtoleaduniversity.com to find out more. 
And if you have comments or questions about the show, you can email me directly if you like, jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead. 